0: 哎
1: prepare ye for a lark it's franchisography the podcast that suffers the slings and arrows of hollywood's biggest film franchises i'm nick Jimenez. i am scott Carelli. today we continue our miniseries on the star trek film franchise with the sixth film adapted from the legendary gene roddenberry tv series it's 1991's the undiscovered country and we have a guest Joining us to talk about diplomacy, political assassination, and the fall of the Soviet Union—it's Michael Gorman.
0: Hi, guys! Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: happy to have you on the show, Mike. So, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Um, what's uh,
2: what's what's? I know you're a big Star Trek fan. Um, so like, where where does yeah. your 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 Trek fandom come from? And what are you what are your thoughts on this like original crew movies?
0: Um, when I was like a little kid like six probably um when i would go to my uh grandmother's house we had toys there and stuff but there wasn't like we didn't have like movies there Mm -hmm. and my uncle uh one time just pulled out like a vhs tape that he had taped five episodes of star trek on and i watched that over and over and over and it was (laughs) like i think he was specifically taping like the like a mock time and uh, City on the Edge of Forever, like the classic ones. Yeah, so I watched that those five episodes. I watched those like over and over again when I was a kid, and then I got into the show when it was on reruns and stuff. Um, so that's where my my Trek fandom came from. Uh, I I mean these these movies, the the TOS movies are sort of you know touch and go at places. <laughs> sure, but I like them and I love seeing this crew because I'm a I'm a TOS. Guy, that's like my main, um, my main version.
2: Yeah, I think I, I. Yeah, I. I feel like you're either a TOS person or or a TNG person. Um, I mean, because even, cause even if you're like a, a, a Kelvin universe version, like a person, like that's still <laughs> TOS from a certain point of view. So yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know that there's I mean there's always <laughs> people that love like DS9 like I'm certainly one of them I love DS9 yeah uh, I love I, it all I, yeah but like you don't hear about like DS9 people or or Voyager
0: people no, uh, <laughs> no really is true <laughs> from an, I just, although I will say no, I don't know if I I might have mentioned this to you Scott but we um uh, and I'm not to drop this but like so I'm down <laughs> in in Atlanta shooting the show True Lies and the first director that we had was uh, Robert Duncan McNeil from uh, right. Paris from Voyager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't get a lot of Trek these days. <laughs> that's
1: great. Uh, from an outsider's perspective, it does seem like DS9 seems to be finding a really interesting second life online, like on Twitter and stuff with memes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the problem is just that, like, um, they never got movies, you know? DS9 and, and Voyager never got movies, and I think that's how you sort of, like, you know it's how star trek like rips out of the out of the you know out of the uh, just Trekkie zeitgeist into like pop culture zeitgeist you
0: know yeah um, well so i don't like, ds9 you couldn't have done movies for right cuz doesn't he just become one with the wormhole at the end <laughs>
2: something like that yeah i mean i guess you i, I mean you could have <laughs>
0: uh you
2: know i i, I think you could have yeah um but you know you Whatever. Search for Cisco. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. The, uh, th- this, this film, The Undiscovered Country, was meant to be the big celebration cornerstone event that Paramount was planning for the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. Was mm-hmm. that a memory for either of you? Like, Mike, do you remember like the ramp up to like the twenty fifth anniversary of Trek? I will, vaguely, now that you
0: say it, mm-hmm. I kind of do, but mm-hmm. not uh, nothing specific is ringing a bell. But, um, but yeah, there. I mean, there must have been. It was so huge by then.
2: Yeah, I think you know what's interesting. I think about this movie. The thing that like kind of I don't know. Just as a. Um, sort of like Star Trek canon uh, type of thing with this movie. It's just the fact that, like, Next Generation has is now, like, nearing its end of its run by the time this movie comes out. Um, it's been on since 87, <laughs> right? And in that first episode, they introduce the character Worf, Who's was a Klingon and part of the Federation. And that was like meant to be a big like, whoa, like what? The Klingons are in the Federation now? That's crazy. How did that happen? Yeah. And they never really answer that question. And then this movie finally comes out and like reveals that story, which I think is right. really cool, especially considering that like the two shows didn't really – interact with each other at all because next gen was so especially in the early days was so heavily like roddenberry influenced and these movies were had like Mm -hmm. basically shunned roddenberry um uh, because he just didn't like conflict but yeah i don't know this is like the most anti-roddenberry movie i think like star trek movie that you could have possibly made um just all conflict i can see that yeah all federation officers like you know uh, forming conspiracies and betraying each other and um yeah it's a lot of shit that yeah. Roddenberry does not like
0: <laughs> but- it's um it's also very reminiscent of uh you know uh what is it which one is that uh Captain America Winter Soldier where you learn mm. that there's you know uh uh what's it called hydra in within the right. organization right you know?
1: Totally, and I think with Winter Soldier and this, because yeah, you're very right, Scott Roddenberry. Well, we'll get into it in my behind the scenes stuff that I learned. But Roddenberry strongly disliked this portrayal of Starfleet and the plot. The basically, the, you know, the thesis of this movie that there would even be, you know, people in Starfleet that were this violent and corrupt or whatever. But I think right. when we get to the end of this mm-hmm. movie, kind of like Winter Soldier, we end with the uh, nucleus or the You know, the center, like, founding idea of Star Trek, the idealism, striving to be better than our lesser natures. I think that holds true by the time we get to the end of this movie. Yeah. I don't think there's – we'll get into this with, like, Star Trek Into Darkness, but a movie where those lesser natures are, like, rewarded in the plot, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. seems to me more antithetical to Star Trek to me.
2: Well, I I I think too. Yeah. It's it's interesting because, like, not to get into like <laughs> communist and socialism theory, <laughs> but but the whole idea of the federation and like there not being any money and and everybody's like peaceful and kind and we're just ex- exploring stuff and all of this stuff, which is all well and good, but. I think Roddenberry knows because looking oh, you know, across over at, at at the Soviet Union and, and all everything that happened with that and the Cold War, I think he knows that like communism works in theory until you get, you know, people involved with like different opinions and things that are and they're like, Oh, you know what, I like being in power. Um, I'm gonna stay in power forever. It's like, well, that's kind of antithetical to like mm-hmm. what communism is supposed to represent and all these things. And so I think that he felt feels that, like, well, the only way that this society works, the way that I've presented it, is if there's zero conflict and everyone gets along and we can trust all of humanity to act appropriately. That's the only way this works because as soon as you throw a wrench in there, the whole thing's going to fall apart because, like, everybody has to believe in this and, you know— Believe in the ideals and and enact the ideals a hundred percent of the time, or all of this is going to fall apart. And I think that's probably where his like issues with with plots like this uh, comes from. Uh, but but you're right, Nick. Like the movie basically overcomes that, where it's like it's saying like Yeah, we had a bunch of rotten eggs, and then we got rid of the rotten eggs, and now we're like back on we're back on on schedule. We're back on, you know." It's it's right. uh yeah, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting movie from, from the Roddenberry of it all, I think.
0: Well it's also it's it's funny you bring up like the communist aspect, but on the other side of it, I mean the whole you'll probably talk about this, Nick, but the whole thing's based on Chernobyl.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. Right. So,
0: you know it's the other side too. Yeah.
1: For sure. And this was like absolutely this has absolutely conversations these are conversations worth having because it is directly The text of the movie, as we'll get into. Uh, But so we kind of touched on this last week with Final Frontier, but very few people at Paramount were happy with how Final Frontier performed critically or commercially at the box office. Uh, Mm -hmm. As producer Ralph Winter put it, it kind of fell below the pattern of success that the series had been enjoying for, you know, a decade, which is really impressive. So uh, there there was a fork in the road of how to keep going in the wake of five. Because you know we were nearing the 25th anniversary of Trek in '91. It's 1990. What are we going to do? Producer Harv Bennett. And
0: let's be honest they're getting they're getting a little old by this point. Yeah, <laughs> the cracks are starting to show.
1: <laughs> and uh, and with that in mind, producer Harv Bennett and Star Trek live screenwriter David Lowry concocted the idea of Star Trek: The Academy Years, what uh, they would call Top Gun in space. Mm-hmm. where uh, a young shit-kicking Iowa farm boy Jim Kirk would uh team up with like the loner outsider Spock the first Vulcan admitted into the academy and these two outsiders would like stir the pot at academy and like become legends in the process i i've heard you know legend of this for so long and they've been trying to get
2: this going for so long and and to a certain extent it's it's what they did with the O Nine Star Trek, which we'll we'll get to in a yeah a, a a few weeks, but um you know and there's also there's the rumors that Josh Schwartz is doing a, a Starfleet Academy series um for for Paramount Plus, um so you got the creator of the OC doing a Star Trek show, which is <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it <laughs> um, but but uh, I, my, my biggest issue with this as of like this like 1990 when this development is happening right is just the fact that like who the hell are you casting in these roles in 1990 to right. play like you know shit kicking <laughs> Kirk and uh, young Spock and all like who are you casting in these roles Mike, like, anyone, I anyone can't even imagine
0: it I I mean just going back to that time I think Luke Perry would have been pretty good.
1: Luke Perry. <laughs> Luke Perry. As like a Spock? Either one I think. I oh. I think he could play a good Kirk. Yeah. See, I'm just looking at I don't the, know I don't know for Spock. I'm just looking at the Young Guns poster. And I'm like, okay, who from Young Guns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, honestly,
2: Actually, Christian, Christian Slater
1: in... who yeah. makes a cameo in the oh,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were thinking the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Good Kirk. He would be, be a, a good, good Kirk. Spock, I think. Oh, oh, I
1: was going to see or, Kirk either one. <laughs> either one. <laughs> uh just to get this out of the way in case we don't bring it up later. So yeah, that is Christian Slater. Uh story behind that is his mother was the casting director of this film. So mm-hmm. uh, straight up nepotism yeah. on his on his own admission. <laughs> and uh he, yeah. he ended up keeping right. the uh uniform that he wore in the movie. He stole it. Uh but in his defense, it was just William Shatner's uniform from Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's that's oh. even better, though. That's like,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. But. it's a piece of uh, movie history right there. Um, yeah. No, actually, now that I think of it, uh, 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 I think uh, Christian Slater would have been best as like a young bones. I think that's actually. A oh. uh, young McCoy, I think that's 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 good. What about Emilio Because he's also like that's, you imagine he's a little good. older at this point because he's been playing teenagers since like the mid '80s. Right. So yeah, mm-hmm. you could know, have him be a McCoy, like a dude in his late 20s or something, McCoy. Anyway, I like that. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird, it's just a weird time period. Cause I don't know a lot of like young, young people.
1: It's like post brat you know, young pack, actors, but and, before the, like yeah. Keanu Reeves, river Phoenix generation. Right. You
2: know? Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: Keanu Reeves would be a great Spock.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Oh man. Agreed. <laughs> uh, fans wow. would have long gone nuts. Like Michael Keaton, Batman times 10 though at the time.
2: Oh boy.
1: Yeah. cuz he wasn't cool yet. Ted Theodore Logan's going to play Spock? Are you guys idiots? <laughs> uh so uh, Bennett and Larry were like really high on this. Con- there was even some concept art. There was a really cool one of like Kirk in his quarters with like the cowboy boots and the hat, like just like propped up, hanging out. Amazing. But when they presented <laughs> the script to Paramount, they rejected it. They were like, "No, we're not ready for this. Uh we really don't want to end on final frontier that, you know, for the 25th anniversary, we think the smarter move is to highlight the old crew one last time, give them a final send off, and then we can move on to whatever we're going to do next. And Harv Bennett was like, well, I'm not interested in doing star Trek six. I want to do this. And so, uh, finally after four films, Harv Bennett and the star Trek franchise would depart ways. Hmm. And uh, it was a heck of a run. Like he came on yeah. with Wrath of Khan and stayed all the way through to this. And I think was finally like ready to move on from the franchise. If it was going to be just. I think it makes sense.
2: This movie does feel a lot different um, than the other ones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think so. It makes sense that there's a, there's a a shift going
1: on from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a vacuum. What was Star Trek six going to be about? Uh, Many people had ideas. Walter Koenig came in with uh, an outline inspired by in Flanders Field, where the Romulans joined the Federation to go to war with the Klingons. Everyone except Spock fails a fitness test. So they uh, a a new crew goes to fight and they get controlled by worms. And so the crew that failed the fitness test have to go in and save them. And everyone died except Spock and Bones. And wow. uh, I don't even know if Paramount like read that. Okay, that was something that came <laughs> wrote and 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 sent to Paramount. Um, yeah. Paramount, on the other hand, uh, came to Star Trek II director Nicholas Meyer and was like, "Hey, Nicholas Meyer, do you have an idea for a sick Star Trek movie?" And he was like, "I do not. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Stop asking. <laughs> Leave me alone." But Leonard Nimoy did. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of Americans reading the newspaper, watching the news, Leonard Nimoy had his eye to- turned toward the Soviet Union. In 1986, there was the Chernobyl disaster where Russia had to, uh, upon like great pressure from the, the UN and the world at large, had to resign. The, yes, there was a disaster. We need help. And the Soviet Union was starting to show sh- signs of vulnerability. And Gorbachev, uh, leader at the time, was looking towards a post-Soviet Union future. The unknowable other that America saw as its de facto enemy for decades was starting to literally and figuratively put its walls down. Mm-hmm. And Nimoy, thinking of Star Trek, was like, well, who's always been the proxy for the Soviet Union in Star Trek? The Klingons. Mm-hmm. Much like America Uh, Starfleet had gotten so preoccupied and slowly more militarized and committed to combating the Klingons more so than any kind of like Kennedy era progress for the sake of progress and so he was like what if the wall started to come down in Starfleet the neutral zone what would happen Mm -hmm. so one day he drives over to Nicholas Meyer's house and they're literally he's like it's so cinematic they're walking down the beach side by side and (laughs) He's like, you know, what if the wall came down in outer space? And Nicholas Meyer's like, ah, oh, that that's interesting. And he's like, well, you know, if that happened, they would have to send Kirk to broker some kind of peace treaty. I mean, you know only Nixon could go to China. And Nicholas Meyer stops dead in his tracks, and he goes, "Say that again." And Nimoy says, "Only Nixon could go to China." And again, I guess for our younger listeners, you might not be aware of that adage. Uh, In 1972, Richard Nixon made a a journey to the People's Republic of China, ending 25 years of no communication, no diplomacy, no relation. And uh, the kind of narrative at the time was that if anyone other than Nixon were to go and take part in these like diplomacy brokerings, it would be seen as like, oh, well, so-and-so senator is a commie sympathizer or a patsy. But Nixon was so publicly anti-communist at the time that it was like, well, if he if he brokered a deal with them, then it must be a good deal. And so Mm. only Nixon could go to China. And so Kirk, only someone who had like a real beef against the Klingons could broker peace. And so as soon as Nimoy said that, Meyer said the story just spilled out of him. And he was like, oh, this murder mystery, prison escape. Boom. We got a movie.
0: I love that the 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 mystery thing was funny cuz I was I hadn't really seen it like that before and when I watched it this time I was like, oh, this is like Agatha Christie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a great bit where Bones there's they're staring, they're hovered over two like starfleet bodies and Bones is like, why wouldn't they have been vaporized? I'm like, oh, yeah, this is legit like a he's thinking like a like a
0: uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh so Meyer enlisted. This is really interesting. Uh, sc- co-screen writer Danny Martin Denny Martin Flynn who is like a choreographer a novelist a playwright but this is like his only screenwriting credit um so Mm. they wrote the movie using a newfangled technology called email where Meyer from from Europe would receive like the pages from Denny Martin Flynn back in LA and they would email the script back and forth there was at one point a an opening where Everyone was going to be retired from the TOS crew. And like the Jason Siegel Muppet movie, they were just going to go pick them up one by one from whatever they had been doing. Uh, Spock was going to be acting as Polonius in a Vulcan production of Hamlet. Sulu was going to be a, a cabbie in a big crowded alien city. Kirk was going to be married, living with Carol Marcus in a cabin out in the woods. Uh, they were going to pick up McCoy, being like drunk at a medical dinner that he had to go to (laughs) uh uhura was going to be the host of a call-in radio show uh it's a real ghostbusters 2 kind of opening uh Uh, and so they present this to paramount and they're like this will easily push the budget above 50 million dollars cut all of this
2: oh man uh, should have had a uh, uh, Sulu and Chekhov like going to a kid's birthday party dressed in Starfleet uniforms
1: <laughs> we used to be cool <laughs> no one believes that Starfleet ever existed <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, the script took five months to write roughly had the same budget as Final Frontier which was unfortunate it kind of Stalled the like, su- like the progress that the series had been enjoying. Of like, oh, cool! You get a little bit more each time. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost every set is a next gen redress. Mm. So, like, oh. the deck of the enterprise, any hallway, it was. It's all just like next gen stuff with a little bit of rejiggering.
2: Uh, it that's impressive, though, considering you know the next gen. It the fact that the next gen set can hold up to like cinematic quality mm-hmm. um is uh pretty impressive mm-hmm. honestly yeah yeah and
1: uh as we pointed out uh Roddenberry didn't like the story didn't like the script he was like I hate how militarized Starfleet is I don't care what Chris O'Connor says it's not what I set <laughs> out to do it, it, it it's bad like Savick why would Savick betray the Starfleet because that was the script at the time with Savick was going to be like the the culprit right. And Meyer was and like, it "Should have been." And Meyer said, "I created Savick. Savick's my character. Don't tell me what I wouldn't do with my a character that I wrote." So he storms out of the meeting after like five, minutes mm-hmm. and just like they reach an impasse. Uh, although poignantly, uh, Roddenberry would live to see the movie. He saw an early screening of it like six days before his death, and uh, told Nicholas Meyer that he liked it. Said, "There's some good parts." In it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, it's
0: good. Then he cheated on his wife one last time and then passed away. <laughs> one,
1: one, one for the road. Uh, it is weird that it's like the first thing you see is like for Gene Roddenberry. And I kind of want it to be like, who hated this in, in principle? <laughs> yeah,
2: For Gene Roddenberry, the
1: bastard. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, this was the most Klingon we would see, like the most of their Klingon culture as yet seen in Shrek. So, like, the designers had a lot of fun. This was uh, the most makeup heavy Shrek. Over 18 unique Klingon character designs were created, like headpieces and whatnot. Uh, Christopher Plummer had a lot of fun playing General Chang. They had a lot of difficulty finding an actor who would be willing to, like, bring the ground, Kind of like what Scott said about uh, the cult leader last week you know like Mm -hmm. you need a movie star presence but not a lot of movie stars want to be in star trek six but right christopher Plummer at this point was like just now in his opinion aging out of being a leading man and so he was like hell yeah pile the makeup on give me an eye patch like i want want to be a villain yeah right and uh yes
0: well it's funny because um when next gen premiered in 87 jonathan freaks and um Uh, Patrick Stewart were interviewed I think I'm like good morning America and it's one of my favorite things uh like interviews because he says the the woman says um asks him well you know you're famous for your Shakespearean work um what's it like to do like a big sci-fi show that's sort of more camp and Patrick Stewart says who said Shakespeare isn't camp
1: (laughs) nice yeah (laughs) <laughs> so it's
0: funny to watch the two worlds in this movie kind of come, come together with all the Shakespeare references and these actors who are famous for that kind of thing
1: yeah I think there's a reason that Shakespeare and Star Trek weave past each other through like you know it's quoted a lot in this movie you got Patrick's St- do yeah. you have so many Shakespearean actors that have thrived in the Star Trek universe and I don't think that's an accident
0: yeah yeah I would agree yeah
2: it's not It's not the only thing they the only literary reference that they let they bring up in this movie though, right oh, for it's sure like they've got because they, there's a little bit of Sherlock Holmes mixed
1: in there, yeah. And Peter and Pan. there's a few other things too, right? Second star of the Right so. right on the morning. Peter Pan. Oh,
2: right, yeah, yeah, Peter Pan, totally. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so so yeah, I', I don't know we've got some fun anecdotes as we go through our walkthrough of specific scenes, but uh Scott, how does Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country begin?
2: Uh, with uh, Captain Sulu, um, and uh, you know, uh, the Excelsior, um, which is interesting. It, I think it was an interesting choice to like, you know, because those those last batch of movies were so like sort of tightly woven in terms of like how much time is passing between each one, um, where it's literally like days in between the first the like like two through four, and then I think I I feel like five is like not that much down the line from 4 like it's it's just a little ways um but this feels like a lot of time has passed now between 5 and 6 um and uh and they show that by um making uh Sulu captain of the Excelsior which is like a big reference point in like Star Trek extended lore um people love Captain Sulu uh, like, Trekkies love Captain Sulu. There's, like, a lot of books with Captain Sulu, and, and it's a big deal. George Takai loves Captain Sulu and has always wanted to do more with Captain Sulu. Mike, do you love Captain Sulu?
0: <laughs> I love Captain Sulu. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but, yeah, it's, uh, it is it is interesting, though, from the perspective of, like, this is the last one, and Sulu doesn't interact with any of the other members of the crew because he's stuck on the Excelsior for the whole movie. Um, So that's a little. I wonder if
0: he was happier about that.
1: (laughs) He might've been. That's yeah. (laughs) It's honoring him and not honor. It's like, it's cool that he is the one that broke off and got to be the captain and he's in the chair and he doesn't die. He's like good at it, but also he's not, he's not in the final tableau. They show his empty seat, which is poignant, but yeah, like he's not, he's not hanging out with with the gang.
0: Yeah.
2: He gets to have that I'll icon. be
0: in the movie, but not with them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he get, he gets that great line uh where where you know he tells them to aim for the explosion and not and don't stop firing or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um it's a pretty good line. Um well anyway, so this starts with them uh on the edge of uh of uh, praxis, which is a moon um in Klingon space and uh there's an explosion um and they're like whoa what happened to praxis it's like in p there's just a chunk of it left and they get like a message and there's like screaming and horror and then it just gets interrupted by another klingon who's like nothing to see here go about your business leave us alone (laughs) and i love that that lady's like should we tell starfleet and he's like are you kidding (laughs) are you kidding (laughs) Yeah, yeah
0: it's good um
2: and then, like, we jump
1: forward in time again. That's
0: like- uh, That woman, the, communi- the communications officer, is uh, – what is her name? I have it here. Um, Grace Lee Whitney, who played Yeoman Rand.
2: Oh. She's playing
0: – Rand Rand has clearly become a communications officer on the Excelsior. Oh, that's fun. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. But, yeah, there's a lot of time jumps in these, these first few scenes because it's a big time jump to Captain Sulu. And then we get another, like, pretty major time jump. Uh, to, you know, the meeting at, at you know, Starfleet headquarters mm-hmm. where Spock is like, so they've agreed to uh, talk through peace and maybe we should, you know, start making peace with the Klingons and uh, all the racists be like, what? It's really interesting uh... how,
1: like, some of the officials, <laughs> their reaction is to them ending the conflict with the Klingons is ending Starfleet. Right. Like, right. they don't even know right. who they are without this conflict. Uh, Mike, what, yeah. do, what do you think about like the militarization of Starfleet?
0: Um, <clears throat> I always liked, I liked the approach, like Nick Meyer, when he did Wrath of Khan, I really loved the approach of making it more, making it feel more like a submarine mm-hmm. because that's kind of what it would be. So I I do think you need, I do, uh, I'm not against it. I think it's cool and it's technically what would happen in an in a agency like mm. that. Yeah. So I appreciate the, the att- that attention to detail and, and the incorporation of that stuff. I think it's I think it's probably what would happen.
2: Yeah, I like the way that it's treated in Strange New Worlds, which is like specifically Captain Pike is like yeah, like Starfleet is an exploration thing. We go out, we explore, but then if a war happens, that's that we turn into a military operation. And it's not my favorite thing, but it's part of like be doing what we're doing mm-hmm. it's like we we have to be ready yeah. at the drop of a hat for like if war breaks out like we have no choice um, and and so I really like that where he's like this is not my favorite thing but if you've been at war with the Klingons for like I don't know a century at this point whatever whatever the time period is um, and you as a, as a as a Starfleet officer has have moved up the ranks due to how you operate within wartime and then for wartime to end, I feel like you would be really threatened by that because you're like, whoa, 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 wait, the only reason I have a career is because of all of this war that was going on. That's what I'm good at. You take that away. I'm not a science officer. I'm not out here exploring shit. I don't care about talking to other aliens. I'm here to like make, dis- make military-based decisions. And if we don't have a reason for someone to be doing that, then what's going to happen to me and my career?
1: So it's interesting. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. No, definitely. And you're right on the money, Mike. Uh, Meyer even like went and made. If you notice, the hallways of the Enterprise are narrower and smaller, and he wanted that to have like the Hunt Red October oh. kind of feel to it, like more claustrophobic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and with the red lights and all that stuff that they do on the bridge, it just felt more like confined and mm-hmm. claustrophobic a little bit.
1: And uh, and yeah, you're right, Scott. It like it strikes like a, 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 a right down the middle of this table of people that are like, well, cool. Isn't this the point? Like, peace? Isn't that why we've been fighting? Is that someday there would be peace? And so we're like, no, we can't trust these guys. We don't know anything about them. Uh, And Spock kind of made the decision for Kirk without telling him of, like, we're going to send you in. You're going to be the one to, like, help broker this.
2: So at this point, they're back on the Enterprise. And uh, we meet Valeris, who everyone acts like they've known for years. Um, despite the fact that she's supposed to be Savic, but isn't. So what what happened with that? Why is she not Savick, Nick? Um the
1: <laughs> the actor they didn't want to recast it a third time. The actor <laughs> whose name I refuse <laughs> I refuse to remember and memorize that that played Savic. It's it's Robin. It's Robin something. We're two we're two movies removed now. Yes. but
2: it's Robin something. <laughs>
1: um, she was like, well, I don't like that Savick – is a villain i think that goes against this character and i was really paying attention i was like i don't know if we ever learn enough about savik to where her housing this yeah. thing on prejudice would be like well savik would do that um yeah they offered it to kim cattrall and she was like well i auditioned to play savik in wrath of khan so i don't want to i don't want to play it now that you turn no i don't want to play savik i was like okay what if What if we change it to Valeris? And she goes, I can do that. (laughs) Give her a little (laughs) headband. Yeah. Now. So it's, you know, they kind of set her up. Valeris be like Spock star pupil, right? Like, Oh, Jim, like she's the shit. Like she graduated top. She's the first Vulcan to graduate top marks. It's, and it's also an interesting choice to make her fully Vulcan.
2: Not, half human, not half Romulan. She's just fully Vulcan. Oh, yeah. um, it's an interesting choice because I don't know that, you know, she doesn't really act like a Vulcan uh, in particular. She has a little too much, I don't know, a little too much emotions going on to be a full Vulcan, in my opinion. But I don't know. Yeah,
0: the um, the parts, the, and we'll get to the mystery part of it. I really know, but... There are parts, there are pieces in that where she's just too like, um, almost like outwardly clever and proud yeah. of it.
1: Yeah, smug. You know, yeah, like yeah.
0: Discovering thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a question on that topic. What, uh, Mike? What do you think of the wide-eyed Spielbergian wonder that Valeris experiences as the Enterprise is leaving Doc?
0: It, it's a, it's a little weird because she's in Starfleet and <laughs> yeah. clearly did well there, and it's <laughs> like, well, why is this? you know why are you shocked yeah. by this or in awe by this it's it's a little doesn't really fit it's just her but favorite yeah. part yeah
2: I, I'll never understand that the actress, the Robin, what's her name? Um, apologies, Robin, you're, you're a fine Savick. And I, and I just, I cannot for the life of me, remember your last name name Um, (laughs) without looking it up. Uh, but, uh, uh, (laughs) the fact that like, she didn't want to come back to play Savick in this cause she's like Savick wouldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what an actor who wants a paycheck would do? Whatever the script tells you to, like, who gives did, a I'll shit? I'll
0: tell you, I, I would tell you point blank, that is right. <laughs> like,
2: who, yeah, exactly. Like, who gives a shit? Like, go go play yeah. the part. Like, what are you portraying? Like, I don't you know.
0: Didn't, you didn't write it. So yeah. how can you say Savak wouldn't do this? You didn't right. create it.
2: <laughs> right. And also, you watched a Klingon kill your, your friend, uh, Kirk's son, right in front of you. Like who's to say that you're yeah. not
0: harboring uh, a little resentment? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> also, if you to to jump ahead a little bit, I mean, the reason, if you look at it from her point of view, she's just taking a different a different uh, logical viewpoint in right. the end. Right. You know. So she technically, like, even though we 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 view it as the bad choice of the the bad guys, she she quantifies it. As a point of logic. So kind of it makes sense. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I just, I I hear her being like, no, Savick wouldn't do that. And I won't, I I don't want to come back to play Savick if she's going to be the villain. And I just, I'm like picturing like that guy in like Batman Begins who's like, what, you don't like falafel? I'm like, what, you don't like
1: residuals? Like, I just like, (laughs) it's Star Trek 6, man. Like, what are you doing? I know. I know. I looked it up. Robin Curtis. Or what
2: is Robin Curtis? Yeah. That's that's why, because Curtis is a generic name. Um, but uh, sorry, Robin Curtis. Uh, but we do. We all think you made a mistake here.
1: And <laughs> uh, came back. Yeah. And we'll talk about how. Yeah. Like how what what's Savic being in this instead of like a new character not, like narratively. But yeah. So, yeah, they, they get hailed by the, the bird of prey at this point. Right. Right. <sighs> Um. Yeah. So the Klingons arrive,
2: and uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, yeah. Teleport onto the ship, and Go there's ahead. this. There, there's this really. Uh, there, there's this subtle stuff here. I mean, subtle, not really subtle, but like it's just. It, it, I find it so interesting the specificity of it. I guess. And I I assume it's what Gene Roddenberry, like, uh, one of many things he really didn't like about this was like the Klingons come on board, they're introduced to everybody, and then they all leave. And then as soon as they leave, the transporter workers are just like, ugh, and what about their smell? They all look alike. And just like, they all look alike. Yeah, just saying like really racist shit. Um, And it's, it's, Bonkers to hear that kind of thing in a Star Trek movie. It it, it really is insane. Um, there were multiple
1: but... lines that the core actors either refused to say that were not filmed. For example, Nichelle Nichols or Hura had a line of like, "Well, would you let your daughter marry one?" And she's like, Yikes. "I'm not saying that. I get what you're trying to do. I'm not saying it." Um, and the uh, you know Kirk's you know there's that argument he has with Spock. Where it's box like Jim, they're dying, and Kirk's like, "Well, let them die." He was like, mm-hmm. "Kirk yeah. would never say that." So he just he just wouldn't let, let let me let me film a take where I say it, and then immediately like, you know, like shake it off or like, oh, like I, I don't know why I don't know why I said that, and he was like, "Meyer, like 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 Nicholas, promise me you'll use that take," and he was like, "I, I fucking whatever, I promise," and then like flat out, they didn't do it, like or forgot, and. <laughs> really resented it
0: but you could see i mean you could see it it, it is against the kirk character but they he did, you know making it that they killed his son yeah you know yeah. that's a pretty heavy thing so you could buy it
1: yeah and i think the power of seeing kirk wrestle and acknowledge his prejudice and c- kind of conquer it is mm-hmm. kind of one of the more compelling parts of the movie for me
2: right yeah, yeah. i i completely agree with that so they go to dinner Um, the uh, Romulan
1: ale is involved. Um, that's really cool because it was, it's illegal because it gets you fucked up. And it was Valeris's idea. She's the one who incepts it into Kirk's like, well, you know, we have Romulan ale because I think she's trying to stir the pot and get people like not on their best behavior.
2: Right. 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 Um, so it's very believable about what happens later.
1: Um, that's pretty
2: good. Uh, the dinner is a fun scene. Mm hmm. Um, I, I like that from the Klingons perspective, Starfleet is just straight up a military operation because they don't know any other version of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so they're like, yeah, you're going to shut that down. Right. If we, if we join the Federation and that just like, everyone is like, it's literally the only reason we're here. (laughs) Like we're, (laughs) you know, like we are Starfleet. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's, well, fun. It's
0: I'm, a good scene. fun look, I'm just gonna throw this in here because I didn't before, but um, and I, I imagine this is true. I saw a tweet, maybe yesterday, coincidentally, that said that Amanda Plummer played like the last bad guy in the Next Gen TV series, and Christopher Plummer played the last bad guy in the Tos movie series.
1: Oh, that's oh, wow. funny.
0: Little little fun wow. fact.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, Christopher that's Plummer. Really Said he, he was really jealous of David Warner as Dorkin in this scene because he says Dorkin uh, has the best line in the whole movie, which is "You haven't heard Shakespeare until you've read in the original Klingon."
2: (laughs) But then he gets to quote all the all the Klingon uh,
1: Shakespeare, so you know. Yeah, Uh, I have an Um, anecdote about the blue food before we move on from the dinner that they're eating. Okay, Uh, it was just. Food dyed blue, like noodles and stuff, that were really sure. dyed blue, and under the the heat of the lighting of the scene, it was just like sickening to to be, oh, I be in the presence of. And it Ugh. was so bad that Meyer was like, "Okay, anybody on camera? If I get you on camera eating the blue food, you get twenty bucks every time." And William Shatter was like, twenty bucks. And then far and away <laughs> Oh no. Took the bounty, got the most twenty dollar bills. Oh man. Wow.
2: Um I so so there's this uh for those of you who don't follow like theme park stuff, there's like a there's a Star Wars hotel now, um, where you're supposed to be like Part of like you're on a spaceship, but it really you're in a concrete tomb in Florida uh, with no windows <laughs> um, and no way out <laughs> um, but but uh, the food that they serve there are things like blue shrimp, and they're like, look, it's like alien it's like an alien shrimp, it's blue, whoa, and it's like all this like fancy food, but it's all like dyed weird colors and things like that, and uh, every time I see that i'm I'm reminded of this scene in Star Trek, and I just was like. Man, you guys really failed on the food front of this Star Wars hotel because all of this is Star Trek food. Like none of this looks or feels remotely like Star Wars. It's too fancy. Star Wars doesn't have fancy stuff. It's it just doesn't
0: feel right. Isn't isn't Star Wars all like in uh in like stick form?
1: Yeah, right? You know, or yeah. Like, I
0: just feel like I feel like I I can't really think of Star Wars food. Also, well that like that um like sponge cake that she hydrates, that Ray hydrates, and right. Force Awakens. Like a, yeah, you know, it's all like that. It's not like it's not like different. It's not like animals and you know worms and stuff like it's well, Star Trek.
2: And I I also find that in Star Wars you never see like well-to-do people eating. Like you see yeah. everyone well, who's Ma- eating Ma- Ma
0: in the new one.
2: Oh, okay. I haven't seen that yet. My mom, um,
0: in in Andor, uh, you you see some of her, and it, it looks great. <laughs> Andor has okay, actually
1: been really uh, uh, eclectic with its food. You've got like cereal has been introduced the Star Wars universe. Whoa! Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Man. Well, now I just
2: need to watch for the for the foodie side of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, and Andor cooking show,
1: those delicious little macaroons that Baby Yoda stole from that child at one time.
2: Oh yeah, also blue. Yes. Also blue.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man, um, but yeah, I, I I like this dinner scene a lot. I think it's I think it's really cool, and I just like how how friendly the Klingons are being to. You know the, the 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 Starfleet crew who are also being very friendly, but as soon as the Klingons leave the ship, they're just like, "Oh my god, did you see how they eat?" Like, blah blah blah, saying all these like horrible things, and like, you know, uh, McCoy being like, "I need a I need a pot I need to find a pot of black coffee," <laughs> which I'm like, "Don't you have replicators? Do you like? I don't know. Why do you have to yeah. find
0: one?" Um, well, that's a, that's a question I had for uh, a scene later when they're doing the mystery thing. Oh there's a whole kitchen full of chefs making stuff. And it's like, yeah. Are we, did you guys like lose the power, the technology of the replicator?
1: <laughs> I don't know So much kitchen stuff know. in this one. Yeah. Well, I
2: think, I think, you know, there, <laughs> there's a, Nicholas Meyer isn't, um, he doesn't respect star Trek that much in terms of like, it's just, you know, some student, some dumb space show. And like, I'm going to like, Tell really great stories within it, but like um, I don't care about breaking the rules for aesthetics. Like whatever. Like he's never going to. He's not going to listen to someone have to like. Okay, Nicholas, you you can't. You can't have a kitchen because like the entire basis of the Federation is based on the invention of the food replicator. It's what created the socialism that the entire government is based upon because it equalized everyone across the board. Because everyone, no one was starving and everyone could have food whenever they wanted. So you actually can't have a kitchen because you know it breaks the universe yeah. but he would just be like fuck you I'll have a kitchen I don't give a shit you know <laughs> they're gonna call it a galley yeah it's yeah. uh, a yeah. submarine submarines have galleys Um, <laughs> um but, uh, uh, but yeah but like the idea I like it because everyone reacts that way as soon as the Klingons leave the ship but you also kind of know the Klingons are doing the exact same thing over on the as soon as they transport Ooh. back to their ship. They're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, they're pink, <laughs> fleshy bodies. Yeah. Well,
0: disgusting. <laughs> they're so clean.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah. And then um, out of nowhere, as as uh, Kirk is uh, uh, harboring a, a hangover from the Romulan ale in which he vows never to have Romulan ale during a uh, a peace dinner ever again um he uh, is called to the bridge and he didn't
0: seem that drunk
2: <laughs> no <laughs> i i mean he just he seems like an old guy who's not used to drinking that much alcohol um, yeah. just like oh man i'm not a kid anymore uh <laughs> so he gets called up to the bridge and um in that moment the enterprise uh fires on the uh the bird of prey um unprovoked seemingly uh, fires. and yeah Seemingly fires, and the data banks say they fire, uh, and it's uh, freaking everybody out because they're like, "We didn't do this. We don't have anything to do with this. What's going on?" And the uh, two two guys uh, transport over to the the bird of prey as the gravity sort of um, uh, their gravity thing breaks, and everyone's floating around. And then they just go in with magnetic boots and uh, assassinate Gorkin, a few Klingons, including. Yeah, including um, David Warner. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gorkin was. Uh, so this then, like uh, this bail.
1: This blood sequence is uh, just reminded me. Uh, ILM is back doing the special effects for this one. Oh yeah, and so they did a lot of prep work of like seeing NASA footage of blobular, liquidy stuff like floating in space yeah. to get the blood right. And I, uh,
0: it's a lot. It's a big. It's a good time. Ninety one for like. Blobs of water or liquid in <laughs> yeah. open air, gra- like, gravityless environment. Yeah, did ILM abyss, Terminator Two is around there? Yeah,
2: yeah did ILM do T Two? Is that was that ILM? Yes. Was yeah, a, right. Terminator and all that. Yeah. So, um, I will say kudos to them on the 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 blood uh, blobs, blood blobs, purple blood blobs. Mm-hmm. But uh, whoever was doing making the blood blobs splat when the gravity gets turned back on, like, the practical blobs, like, on set, you guys could have found a, a different consistency in terms of, like, that doesn't remotely look like blood. It just looks like jam that yeah. you just plopped onto somebody's <laughs> back. Or, like, gack from, like, uh,
1: Leftover from uh, Nickelodeon or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just... Brief, yeah. brief brief, word about uh, the character of Gorkin, who I found really fascinating in this movie. In his design, his makeup, Nicholas Meyer wanted him to resemble Abraham Lincoln. So, oh. so that subconsciously, even though he's a Klingon, human viewers would be like, there's something about this, this, this Gorkin guy that I trust. And uh, he felt very strongly about the assassination of this character, kind of mirroring real life figures like Abraham Lincoln or Anwar Sadat or, you know, Gandhi that had been uh, terminated for trying, you know, being that canary in the coal mine of peace and diplomacy and how many times in history they are taken out, sometimes by their own people. Yeah. I found my, help me out. I was like, it'd be so cool if later on in the franchise you met a Klingon character who was like, yeah, I was was eight when Gorkin was assassinated and that really inspired me to like carry on the, no, mm-hmm. the
0: mantle of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. for sure.
1: Um
2: I uh I, I really like the bit where um Kirkin and McCoy they, they uh transport over to the ship and uh they're like, We're here to help and they bring them in um to, to where Gorkin is and McCoy tries to op- like tries to help Gorkin and help him survive but he's just like i don't know their anatomy like i none of this makes any sense to me like i don't i don't know what this is and you know from from one perspective you're like oh like he's like like this this feels like slightly racist too of just like him being like oh i don't know how their anatomy works um they're like a you know they're you know but but at the same time they've been at war and this would be the side effect of war with an alien species which is that you would never learn their anatomy how would you you know, right. um, or their language. You'd have to like, or their language. Exactly. As we learn later uh, without a universal translator. So like, I, I find that so interesting. Like that sort of like side effect of this, of being like, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause I've never had to operate on a Klingon before. Cause they've been the enemy until now.
0: This is, and this is more of a general uh, Trek question, but, and this dawns on me from time to time. Normally I just put it out of my head. I've always wondered about the universal translator and also how it makes like an alien's mouth move so that the English words are coming out. <laughs> you know,
1: like, yeah,
0: what you w- you wouldn't see the you know. Yeah, I- I'm just so like, like, put um, off. Right? Is, so is it like watching yeah. a
1: dubbed movie? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah,
2: that feels like the the kind of like weird thing that they would have put into like Star Trek Discovery, like when they like cut to the Klingons and like. That's what it's yes. like. Is like they they're speaking Klingon, yes. but then they just like dub over them in English.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Oh, or there man. are subtitles on the views. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Right. Hey, Captain, are you a subs or dubs guy? <laughs> <laughs> Which do you prefer?
0: <laughs> and he changes it with a remote. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I can't understand that he changes the settings like mid conversation. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: so Gorgon dies, and um, they decide they're going to put Kirk and McCoy on trial uh, for um, this assassination. Uh, uh, Red Foreman is playing the president what's of yes. the Federation, yes. right? Yes, President. So what Federation. is his alien species that he's that he is? Because I. I think I've always thought he was a Klingon, and then I'm watching it this time, I'm like, wait, no, he can't be a Klingon if he's president
1: of the Federation.
0: What is he? He looks like he looks like he's like the grand Umpa Loompa. Yeah.
1: yeah. He does. It's, it's very it's metal. He's got like eyebrows, long beard. I thought he was a Klingon yeah. as well. I'm now trying to like Google it on my phone. Yeah.
2: He's like um he looks like an old like uh like like kung fu master sort of vibe like yes yes like like the guy that trained the bride in uh <laughs> in uh, uh kill bill you know he just got real mm-hmm. long
1: whiskery beard here we go he um, is a Phrosian. Phrosian. oh mm. right okay Interesting. Um, they only have two. They only have two appearances in the movie. It's four in this one. Yeah. Okay.
2: Interesting. Cool. I. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm surprised that um, they haven't been brought back in, uh,
0: more often. Right, Kurt I Kurt Ward Smith. Um, he's still with us. Well, I would. Yeah. I would guess it's because they look too much like Klingons. It confused people.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. They just You're look like probably old Klingons right
0: about
2: that. Yeah. Um, so uh uh so yeah, so he's like, you know Kirk um, wouldn't do
1: this, Kirk wouldn't murder
2: Right. And he's like trying to argue that like we shouldn't put them on, on trial, but then, you know, the Kling- the Klingons and, and other people in the Federation are like, no, he he has to like Sarek. I mean, he doesn't like yeah, Sarek is there. Yeah, so like, Star Trek. You know, um, he's convinced and uh, and lets it go forward. Um, but uh, meanwhile, yeah, the, the Agatha Christie uh, Sherlock Holmes investigation is beginning on the ship um, with the uh, uh, first off uh, Spock uh, quoting Occam's razor um, and uh, being like Occam's razor says that there is a bird, a cloaked bird of prey that can fire its weapons while cloaked right below us. It's like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of jumping, uh, to get to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, the simplest solution. Definitely. (laughs) He
1: would have quote this again. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Invisible ship. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um,
1: but, um, we, uh, and it was really cool watching Valeris, like knowing that she's the culprit. It's kind of like when you're reading an Agatha Christie book again, every line that she has is like, Ooh, why would she give that away? Or like, Oh, she's right. like, she's playing like mm-hmm. three-dimensional chess this whole time. Right. Well, and then there's yeah,
2: yeah. there's also not e- that's that's not even a metaphor in uh, Star Trek cuz they have three-dimensional chess. That's true. Um <laughs> there's uh, uh like her whole there, there's so many moments in this if you go in watching it knowing that she's the culprit. Um there's so many times where there's like people will say, well, who could have possibly have done this? And then like, she walks into the room. Yeah. Like it's, there's yes. <laughs> so many situations in this where it's something, they ask a rhetorical question and then Cut she you. answers it by walking into the room yeah. or, or yeah. Uh, piping up or whatever. Well,
0: during the, during the trial, when they're grilling McCoy, he says that, you know, that he was drinking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So
0: again, like she, you know, yeah, that was her fault. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. And uh, Um, fun part of the plan. Fun fact about that Klingon jury or room chamber judge judgment chamber uh, favorite set. The production designer Herman Zimmerman ever designed leading up Mm -hmm. to like all the way up to nemesis and the way they because, you know, working with a limited budget, the way they made that uh, chamber appear bigger is they bought a bunch of like official like wharf dolls that you could get at the store and mm-hmm. they attached them to a rod like foosball and would, like, w- move them back and forth to look like a... <laughs> <laughs> Incredible.
2: Well, and and speaking of Worf, uh, we have Michael Dorn here, who I believe is canonically playing his grandfather, mm. playing, playing Worf's grandfather,
0: um, who is a... Oh, like, I didn't know that. I just thought it was, like, you know... <laughs> I like that.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's, you know, at this point, like, next gen's been on for so long like you can't just have wharf in, in a star trek movie without an explanation you know yeah. um but yeah. uh but yeah
1: canonically playing his own grandfather um kind of breaks my brain fun. watching this because like, i until you said so scott at the beginning of the episode i didn't know this was late in next gen's run i yeah i saw it watching it today of like oh yeah they're teeing up next gen and setting them up To, like, take over the franchise, but that had already kind of happened to an extent.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, they're basically teeing them up to take over the movies post the series uh, ending, you know, Um, because the series would end two years later and then the, the movie would happen in 94. So... Um, we 're only three years away from that first next gen movie, which is that 's great crazy to think about the timeline of that um, but there 's a reason why there were yeah. so many jokes on like every animated series about like all of the Star Trek crew being like fat and old um it was like Every, 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 every animated series had some kind of joke about like William Shatner's girdle and, and, you know, and, and this, this movie doesn't do those jokes any favors by literally having Kirk, like for the first time in the, in the movies, Kirk actually like gets laid, like hooks up with somebody in like the last Star Trek movie when he's at his absolute yeah. oldest. <laughs> He's like, what is he like sixty five in this movie? I mean, he's like old, right, at this point.
0: Um, oh, he's so, got to be, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So and he's like, um, ninety
1: now. So yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. So they get sentenced to the uh, Klingon gulag, and uh, we get them uh, going to the gulag and and uh, meeting some aliens and getting into some scraps. You know, it's some yeah. there's some fun fun stuff in here, which is. Uh, I think a really good balance, like the whole gulag sequence, is a really good balance of like Star Trek and like Mad Max and Star Wars, sort of like all sort of mixed up because it's very um, uh it's it's very Thunderdome esque
1: this whole sequence,
0: right? Yeah,
1: you get some good old fashioned Kirk fisticuffs, scrapping about.
2: Yep, <laughs> and we um, um, meet a mon genitals.
1: Yeah. You get- <laughs> Those are his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Gene loved that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah,
2: while that's happening and, uh, and, and, and he's meeting his, uh, shapeshifter, uh, girlfriend, um, uh, played by Amon. Spock is, what's that? Played by the
1: supermodel Amon.
2: Amon, yeah. Um, David and, Alley. uh, and while that's happening, Spock is going full Sherlock Holmes, um, on, on the ship and, uh, there's like that bit where they're talking about like how how would you fire a f- a phaser without setting off the alarms? And they're like, you can't. And so he would like fires uh-huh. the phaser, and the alarms go off, and the guys come in, guns ablazing, like ready to go. <laughs> and they've got to like talk them down. Like, no, 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 it's fine. Everything's fine. Get out of here. <laughs> I love that.
0: Uh, I I thought it was fascinating to learn that a phaser beam can distinguish between metal and potato when fired.
2: Yeah. That's
1: crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that's good,
2: um but uh, uh, yeah, and then they find uh they're like searching the ship for the boots, and they find the sh- the the boots in uh Dax locker, and I love this reveal, knowing what we know about about Valeris is like she's so smug about the magnetic boot she has to show that they're magnetic by like turning them on, which is just like yeah. the stupidest thing, but then <laughs> when they call yeah. in Dax and you see his feet and you realize like, oh, he wouldn't be able to wear these boots, he doesn't even wear shoes um, and the look on her face of like how did I not check what species Dax was before I decided I was gonna frame him um it's really good, right like just making a really stupid mistake
1: is so so good yeah. i love that
2: yeah
1: um and then yeah, i think i think mike references earlier but when she finds when the boots fit on the locker door she gets a big almost like tracy fleck like shot yep. of like i did it i solved the mystery
2: yeah
0: yeah
1: problem solved it's this
2: dax guy
0: meanwhile everybody everybody else is like no, we 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 know that they're magnetic, magnetic boots. We're all issued the same stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get we it. We'll get one. <laughs> uh, um,
2: the magnetic boots look very similar to uh, the Nikes, uh, the self the self lacing Nikes in uh, Back to the Future Part Two. Um, <laughs> yeah, same. I I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same like prop designer or something. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, very very similar. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. And then, uh, we get this bit where they're like having to uh, translate Klingon on the fly. That's a really fun scene because they are going to meet up with uh, Kirk outside the Gulag because he's got an escape plan. Um, but in fact, he's actually being betrayed by, uh, uh, by, by the shapeshifter who, um, shapeshifts into Kirk and we get a. I mean, Kirk versus Kirk, and there's so many jokes where like, like even Kirk is like making fun of himself for like, you know,
1: oh, I, I, I bet you've had dreams like this. Very, uh, <laughs> it's, like, I very Moffat era <laughs> Doctor Who.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. That's funny. Um, but it's uh, it's it's good stuff. Um, I love the Kirk versus Kirk fight. I think that's really Kirk. Kirk, like putting K- Kirk Fu onto Kirk. It's it's just like man. <laughs> it's the best how else how else could he go out um than fighting himself that's funny. and uh and then we we learn that uh valerius is the betrayer but it's part of a larger conspiracy um they basically they find two bo- the two bodies of the guys who took their you know, who actually went out and assassinated people because uh, Valeris was on the bridge when that was happening um and uh turns out she Used the phaser stun setting at point blank range, um, which I guess is like basically like bludgeoning them to death. Um, and uh, they find the bodies and they set her up. They set up a trap by like announcing that uh, they're calling them, you know, to like this to the sick bay or whatever. And she shows up in the sick bay to like ice them. She's like, ah, I, I didn't kill him before. And then surprise. Got you. And it's it's like mm-hmm. the whole
1: the whole crew's in there. It would been a great core. joke if one by one they are all hiding behind a yeah. It was like the worst <laughs> surprise party. Yeah.
2: Oh man, it's so good. But yeah, she's
1: part of a larger conspiracy.
2: Yeah, this lar this whole uh assassination at the peace conference, Odo uh shows up and, and he's trying to ice oh, yeah. some girls. Yeah. Um which is uh, unfortunate, but yeah, it, it's so interesting too. Because like he's in this movie as in like a, a fairly major role. Where like well, we have to cast somebody who has this like one sequence at the very beginning. Um, we have to cast somebody who looks memorable so that the next time we see him, we're gonna be pulling a mask off of him, and you have to instantly recognize him, right? And then that guy becomes like a guy in in makeup in Star Trek Deep Space Nine like two years later. Um, like a main cast member, and I just think that that's so interesting. Did they ever discuss whether or not um Odo's no, because Odo's race is like a mystery, right? He's like yeah. they don't they don't know anything. He doesn't about find his it
0: until the last episode.
2: That's right. That's yeah. right. So he's so yeah. So he's not related to the shape shifting lady. That's just another shape shifting alien that exists in Star Trek.
0: Uh. Or maybe she is from the same species, uh, and then he he somehow uses her information to find them at the end. Oh, maybe. I don't remember. Interesting.
2: Maybe she's like. I I want to say that, but that might not be. Maybe she's like a Romulan Mm -hmm. to his Vulcan or something. Like kind of a sister companion. Something like that. I don't know.
1: Yeah. You know, Scott, you mentioned, uh, you know, of course, you got to have Kirk judoing and karateing with Kirk as a fitting end. I would say there's like, I couldn't have imagined a better ending to his cinematic career than like jumping in front of the president to like take a bullet. So, <laughs> yes. It's such like a, Absolutely. a dad airport novel way to end your your career. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I I I just love that the final OG Star Trek movie um ends with like making like like the crew making sure that a peace conference happens. <laughs> like you know like it's a conspiracy on a peace conference and they're like no 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 we got to save this we got to save the peace conference um i just i love that i think that's uh i think that's very star trek uh
0: mm-hmm. just,
2: yeah like an action sequence set at a peace conference uh scotty trek. gets
1: to be the dude who like kicks open the door and shoots the sniper
2: yep yep that's good Everybody gets a pretty some pretty good moments in this, you know. Ahora gets the moment where she's trying to speak Klingon, which is a lot of fun, and um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Uh, Chekhov has like several good moments, but like his big moment, I would say, is like his trailer moment, which is the "Guess Who's Coming to Dinner" line. That's probably his like his big moment. He, he
0: also it feel it feels like there's several times during the the mystery portion where. He said something that's wrong and they make him just look kind of like like an idiot. <laughs>
1: yeah, it happens sometimes that with happens an ensemble is like, hey, your job in this wind is just to eat shit the whole time. Yeah,
2: and I, yep. I'm sure yep. I'm sure I'm not the first person to point this out. But um, there are so many moments in this, uh, especially in this moment where this movie where his accent is. I mean, you know, it's always been ridiculous, but the fact that, like, you know, he he, he instead of saying vessels, he says wessels, right? But then there's like a point in this movie where where he says want, but he says vaunt. So then I'm like, wait, so you can say the V, and you can say the W, you just can't say them in the right spots where they belong. <laughs> he just switches them up. I don't know. I it just it's uh, really weird. It's gonna be
1: interesting to see what Anton Yelchin does with the accent.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like the specificity of it. Yeah. I I don't I I seem to remember he like splits the difference where he does like make it a little more Russian sounding but still does the Wessels thing. Like, with the Wickers too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> the um endless quoting of of like Shakespeare lines and like literary lines. Uh, does it hit by a limit for you? Plummer. I no, I I love okay. it. I I think it's. I just think it's. I I just think it's so ridiculous. Where he's just like so gleefully quoting them. <laughs> it's is the thing spinning around in his chair, um, and, and to the point where I think this movie's dismissed a lot by people who are like, oh yeah, and then there's the one that where they quote Shakespeare a bunch. Um, that's what I always heard about this one. It was like, oh yeah, and then the Klingons they quote a bunch of Shakespeare. That's what the last one is. Uh, and like I don't know, uh, you know, I. I think this one is severely underrated this movie as a whole on Discover Country. I think it kind of
1: rules. I think it's maybe my favorite of the original crew. I think this movie rules. I love it it was uh it was a critical and commercial success at the time of release, especially in like in the wake of five, so yeah, I think Paramount saw it as mission accomplished in terms of like this was always going to be their last one, and so yeah, it ended like with but then I think it fell under the. I think, like as the years went on, maybe yeah, I was remembered as like, oh yeah, the last the last few weren't very good, you know, as a whole. I also want to call out the iconic uh, exploding bird of prey that we get at the very end. Yeah, that's like to me a definitive. Like they always use that in supercuts of like Trek.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's that's Zulu's big moment. Um, that's uh, killing a bunch of like moment for him. Yeah. Undiscovered Country, good movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. They uh you know, we get a Peter Pan reference, second star to the right. We get a final uh tableau of the whole cast and like a mono you know, voiceover of like the whole the whole cast minus Sulu. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: but uh no I, I, I like all that and the signature thing is so funny, the legacy of the signature thing, because um you know, I don't think that any franchise did this again until Twilight did, um, which, you know, we covered a-, a while back. But Breaking Dawn Part 2 also ends with everyone signing their, uh, their, their their cards there at the end. And then again in Endgame. But the funny thing about when Endgame hits is like everyone was like, oh, they're doing the thing that Twilight did. And I'm like, no, no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. <Nuh-uh>, uh-uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Russos are very much like, oh, yeah, the last Star Trek movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel uh, like Twilight didn't by any means earn that.
2: Oh, they'd only been around no, for five like
0: years. Do.
1: Yeah, this is a
2: 25-year, <laughs> like, like, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's really Endgame funny.
0: earned it for sure, but yeah. Yeah, Twilight doesn't earn signatures. No. <laughs> <laughs> gotta
1: it, At least hit a decade. If you want to, if you want to enter some signature territory, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. I think I think this was such a, a, It probably feels the most like an episode of Trek of all the movies, and that it's like we're wrestling with a quandary that we're currently struggling with in our world, but in this Star Trek universe that we've created.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So this would be the final time that we see
2: any of the original crew minus. Kirk and Spock. Um obviously we're gonna see Kirk again in the very next movie. Uh and then we see Spock again a month from now, um in the in the, <laughs> the Kelvin over in the uh the other universe, the Kelvin universe. Um so
0: although uh, McCoy and and this isn't post, but McCoy appeared on the first season of Next Gen, which I realize is before this, but
2: yeah, he was he was at the end of the very first episode. Um, which was yeah. weirdly halfway through, uh, the story for that episode, just like, cause it was like a two hour pilot, but then like at the end of the first half, right. he just shows up and has a cameo and then is never
1: spoken about
2: again. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> and, uh, um, and of
1: course we'll talk about it next week, but we do, we do get a few of these guys do pop up in like the cold open of generations. Oh, is that right? More, more than just Kirk? I think at least Koenig and duhan they're like, they're at like the christening of the new enterprise and they're like, Oh, okay.
2: Well, I couldn't remember if it was more than just more than just Shatner. Um, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that's good.
0: Uh, ah, man, generations, Mike,
1: any closing thoughts on the undiscovered country and the TOS movies in general?
0: I like them. They can, they have their hits and misses, but you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a TOS, uh, um, fan. Um, I love this movie. Um, and i probably like, well, like we've been saying, I love the way that it combines like so many genres. There's, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a conspiracy movie. It's a mystery movie. It, there's like a, you know, there's a prison break. There's just so many like genre things that it mixes and it does it well. Cause that doesn't work a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like it's crazy to think about a modern franchise going today, like fast and the furious or, uh, you know something? We're like okay. On this one, we're just gonna do like a low stakes murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a political thriller. It's I don't mean. I mean, it's it's so many things in one. And and, and, and like I said, they do it well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Is is uh, is Con your favorite of the OG movies? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although I, I go back and forth between Con and search, search Search for Spock. I love. Search for Spock.
2: Yeah, as well. I I I feel like Search for Spock. You know, for the longest time, like we we we've talked about this, and like you know, all all this season, while we've been talking about these movies, the sort of odd and even rule, and like, oh yeah, the odd yeah. ones are bad and the even ones are good, and but like, I just think Search for Spock ruins that. I I guess it doesn't work for some people, but I'm with you, Mike. I think that one might yeah. be my favorite. Um, it, I and think it's this also one, those two movies
0: are one story.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: That also, but <clears throat> I just, I, like
2: to. I, I just, I love the crew, like breaking out the enterprise, um, you know, pulling a mm-hmm. heist to steal the enterprise. I just think that's yeah so fun. Nick, what are your final thoughts on, on this, the, the OG crew? Cause you know, we're, we're going to be moving on next week.
1: Right. Yes. And now uh, we'll be switching gears. Scott will be handling, handling research for the adventures of Mr. Worf and Mr. Data at uh, mm-hmm. De- Deanna Troy. Deanna, is that her name? Yeah, you got him. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, nailed it. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun learning about, more than anything, I just, it, this cast was so, I don't know, like, fandom has become such its own beast now in the 2020s that just hearing anecdotes about, you know, the role that Nichelle Nichols played in expanding, like, women and people of color's role in STEM, DeForest Kelly inspiring people to get into medicine, um, and then, like, on a, on a technical level, I was, like, really inspired by what Harv Bennett called the discipline of tele- television production on so many mm-hmm. of these. And how, like, the ingenuity of, like, reusing sets and costumes and sometimes even footage I just found really endearing for a, a big franchise like this. And, yeah, I, I just had so much fun going on an adventure with these these crew of friends over the last few weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the the like that's the cool thing about it is like they are friends. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so good. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not sure if we get quite the same feeling of family and camaraderie from Next Gen. There, there's a lot of factors as to why that's not the case. That isn't their fault, but it'll be interesting to see
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to dig into those. I, I I already have some. There are some really interesting stories um, about the making of those movies that I I I know just from like sort of osmosis and just like you know looking up general behind the scenes things um that i i can't really i i can't wait to get into um but uh yeah it's going to be interesting and then and I, and i think that you know looking forward to the kelvin universe um what i think they did so right in those movies was just like right from go skipped over the part where they're all just coworkers and just like, okay, we're going to tell a story about how they like become a friend group, you know, um, where they're, they're always going to like go to bat for each other. Something has to happen Um,
1: so drastic that it gets them to where they need to be by the end of this movie. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um,
2: which I think is, I think it's fun. And it's the only reason why I think into darkness is even watchable is because I like watching those guys like interact with each other. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Share scenes, um, even if the scenes aren't particularly good. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyway, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's, it's sad saying goodbye, but I, I, I do find, I gotta be honest, I find the signatures very satisfying. Like, I, I, I felt very cathartic watching it where you're like, yeah, um, you know, uh, Shatner's gonna be back in the next one, but, uh, yeah, yeah, goodbye, Shatner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It, he's like the, uh, He's like the high school kid that graduates and then, uh, comes back and hangs out in the parking lot with the kids. The yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> you're, you're still here. I got an acoustic guitar now,
1: guys. Hey, you want to, you want to watch me play songs? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mike, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, there's so much Star Trek. Thank you for having me. I always love being here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just great hearing how different people like found their way into the series and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much Star Trek out, right? I wouldn't be surprised to see you pop up in one of them before too long.
0: I know. Oh, I'd love I when I got to, when I booked the role on True Lies, <clears throat> my my uh, agent represents Anton Mount. And I said, I go, uh, his name's Logan. And I go, Logan, I, I want one thing from you now that I'm in the CBS Paramount Universe. And he goes, <laughs> what I go. I just want to shake hands with Anson Mount. So I could say I met a Starfleet captain (laughs) and he was like, we'll, we'll make that happen somehow. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. Um, No, I'd love to, uh, I would love to be in star Trek. That'd be great.
2: Yeah. Well, this is, this is airing, um, next year, early next year. So I think true lies will be out at this point. Um, so fingers. Yeah. True
0: lies comes out in, uh, January or February. We don't, I don't think we have like a, a, a nailed down date and then I'll be in, uh, I'll pop up in uh Ted Lasso as well for a couple oh, episodes right. and that I don't know when that's gonna I don't know that they even know when that's coming out, but I would right. imagine probably around the same time. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. So like
1: another another Roman popping up everywhere.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's been a busy year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Another good. crew that becomes a family. Oh Ted Lasso. <laughs> true.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, true lies is that as well. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Uh,
1: all right thank you guys absolutely mike happy to have happy to have you hope to have you back on the show soon and uh we'll be back next week with a whole new generation of military slash science escapades hashtag socialism bye everybody